So Paul continues in his writing to Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 4. Um, the normal stuff, if you don't have a Bible, please go grab one. Um, you can steal the kid's Bible next to you or something. That's okay too. But, but uh, go with me to Galatians chapter 4 and follow along as I read. I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version this morning. Um, it, it, yeah. Listen to Paul's heart and frustration with these people who he loves. Verse 8 of chapter 4, he says this, Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those by nature who are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose, whose slaves you want to be once more? So you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and and though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me. You received me as an angel of God, as, as Christ Jesus himself. What then has become of your blessedness? I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? See, they make much of you, but not for a good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. See, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You you hear in the words of Paul, the heart of 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 a pastor, the heart of a a broken man who, who can't figure out why these people he loves so much are, are doing such foolish things. There's a few things I need to point out to you before we jump into this, not, not the least of which is this. Um, Paul um, talks to them about the experience that they had when Paul first came to them in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul went on his first missionary journey and he shared the gospel with them and, and they responded remarkably. I mean, there was all kinds of things that happened, including um, this magician who approached them and, and Paul basically said, you know what, I'm sorry, but and now he lost his eyesight and the place goes crazy, and then Paul preaches the gospel, and men and women come to Christ. And then you fast forward to, to another time where Paul's trying to preach, but the, the, the Judaizers, the, the people of, of Israel, were standing against him and saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, and it brought great conflict, and yet he continued to preach, and then he brought healing to a man who, who needed healing, and what happened, the crowds began to worship him like he was an angel of God. And Paul's response was, stop it, I'm a man, just like you, knock it off. He was then stoned at Lystra, which was part of the Galatian churches. He was, he was stoned as if for death. I mean, this was, a, it was an interesting time, a period of time there in the churches of Galatia. And Paul's saying, you remember that? Before that, you were worshiping things other than God. Before I came to preach to you the gospel, you were worshiping of the, the imperial cult, the, the ones who would worship the, the Roman um, emperor as if he was the God. You were worshiping these mystery religions that existed at the time. You were uh, worshiping the Greek 
pagan deities that existed that we all studied in school for the mythological, myth, myth, yep, that word, the segment of our studies. We, we all studied Zeus and Jupiter and, you know, all those, these things that I should have written down because I got them wrong right off the bat. Um, some of them were, were worshiping the heavens and the stars. And he says, you were worshiping these elemental principles. You were worshiping things that should never have been worshiped. And then Christ came, and oh, there was this great rejoicing, and now you have returned to worshiping the elemental principles, which really can be translated as demons. Wow. For any of you who have been keeping track through the Galatians series, you'll remember what it is that Paul is confronting the Galatians about, right? He's saying what you are doing is taking a legalistic approach to the law and you're trying to impose the law on people in addition to Christ. So you're saying, Jesus, yes, he saves, but you must also do this, this, that, and this in order to be accepted by God. And he says, by living a life like that, you are returning to worshiping demons. Um... Anybody else uncomfortable about that? When you hear the astonishment in Paul's voice, you understand how heartbroken he is. How could you? How can you? Man, I I wish I could be with you so that I could change my tone with you. The idea is, I wish I could be standing in front of you so I could get a better understanding and maybe understand that we have a huge misunderstanding and you're actually not doing what it is that I think you're doing. I wish I could be there so I could change my tone. I am completely perplexed as to how in the world you think this is right. What were some of the reasons Paul thought that the Galatians were enslaved yet again as they were before he arrived? There's a number of evidences of bondage in their life, and the the first being this, a scheduled holiness. A scheduled holiness. Look at verse 10. He says this. Listen, I'm thinking about you and you are observing days and months and seasons and years. Okay, that that seems kind of neutral until you understand what it is that Paul is saying. He said, listen, you, you are observing the weekly Sabbath, the new moons, the festivals of Passover and the tabernacles, the year of Jubilee, and you're observing those things like something depends on it. Now, understand this. He's not saying the festivals are the problem. We, we should all, I mean, honestly, there, I hope and pray that there is a time in the next year or two where we as a church are able to walk through the festival of the Passover so that you can see the Messianic Passover and understanding how beautiful the picture is of what God did for us in Jesus Christ. I, I pray we're able to do that with this number of people. We'll figure out a way to do it. But, but that's not a bad thing. Celebrating the festival of the Passover isn't the problem. See, so Paul's not saying reject all holidays. There are people that say reject all holidays, aren't there? There there are some cults that say that, but there's also some sects of Christianity that say we should reject all holidays. One one sect of Christianity that was actually quite famous for doing it uh, were the pilgrims. The pilgrims, when it came to Christmas, were like, we we don't want to celebrate Christmas at all. It's just like any other day. We're going to work just like it's any other day. It'll be completely normal. We may fast. We may pray. But it's going to be exactly like any other day. We will not celebrate Christmas, which is crazy ironic because the way we remember the pilgrims is by celebrating Thanksgiving, taking the day off work, and feeding ourselves full. You're welcome, pilgrims. (laughs) See, the problem isn't with the festivals themselves. In fact, Paul deals with that in um, 
Romans 14, he says, there are some people who, who will esteem a day as better than another day, and there's other people who will see all the days are exactly alike. He says, you just need to be convinced in your own mind of where you stand on that, and the bigger point isn't the holiday's good, the holiday's bad, but the bigger point is every day must be lived to honor God. So, so that's the most important thing. So, so honor God this week by thanking him for the gift you have on Valentine's Day, or better yet, Honor God on Slap Day. Do any of you know what Slap Day is? That's February 15th. It's called Slap Day. And there's a great reason to celebrate Slap Day. All the chocolate's on sale. So celebrate, honor God in that day. Like, thank you, God, for this wonderful gift of chocolate that you have given to me. Right? Amen? All you natural food people are like, oh, it's okay. Chocolate-covered kale. It's all right. So, so what Paul's saying is, listen, the festivals aren't the problem. The festivals aren't the problem. The problem is the Galatians were keeping these festivals, these days, these seasons, these years in order to gain God's favor. And that's a problem. So in our modern era, we see that as well, don't we? We schedule our holiness. I, I, I'll go with the days that it's not, because Sunday's an easy one to take shots at you. And some of you are like, oh, here it comes. I, I won't pick on you today. I'll just pick on this one. Christmas and Easter. I mean, Christmas and Easter, we pack this place out. It's awesome. It's, we'll jam people in here and we'll celebrate it, but part of the problem is the reason the people are here is because they're doing their yearly duty. So may I ask you a question? How is that different than going to Rome and climbing the stairs, the, 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 the Scala Sancta, on your knees in order to gain indulgences from the church? How is that different it's not. How is it different than, than going on your Hajj journey as a, as a Muslim and going to the Mecca in order to, to gain acceptance in Muhammad's eyes? How, how, is that, how is that different? It's not. To use any external standard, in this case a calendar, to improve your standing before God can never help you. Um, there's an order. And, and, and again, let me, let me uh, encourage you in this. Um, this is actually kind of interesting. So up till this point in Galatians chapter 4, there is yet to be a command given to the Galatians. Up until this point in Galatians 4, Paul has not said, you must do this, until he says this in verse 12, I entreat you, my brothers, become as I am. That's the first command that Paul has given to the Galatians. He's saying, be like me. Not like, hey, I'm a wonderful guy. No, what Paul is saying there is, be like me, I am free I am free from the law, and yet I continue to obey the, uh, the, the Lord. I continue to follow after the Lord and do what it is he's called me to do. Why is that? And he says, because that's what I want you to understand. There's, there's some, and we'll talk about this when we get to chapter 5 where the transition occurs and it talks about what living in freedom looks like. But what he does is he says, listen, here's, here's, here's the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. It's an order thing. It's a priority of order. So your salvation and acceptance in God's eyes is not based on what you do. It's based on what's been done for you. Okay? And so when you understand that I am a child of God, then I will do this with great gladness in my heart. Not, I'm going to do this so that I can be a child of God. This is a ridiculous thing that came to my mind this morning on my drive from my office up to here, so forgive me, this is terrible, but it's going to stick in your head, you're welcome. The order is not Frank Sinatra 
It's the minions. It's not doobie, doobie, do. It's be do, be do, be do. Yeah, all right, there we go. I reached my target audience with that one. Awesome. <laughs> that just made my day. I got goosebumps. That's awesome. But that's it. That's what we need to remember. As goofy as it sounds, man, every time you watch Minions now, what I want you to think is that I am a child of God, so I do this with gladness. Be do, be do, be do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can just pray and go home right now. Oh, baby. See, if you get that order out of whack, if you miss that order, then we're in trouble. If we go the other way, then what is happening is what Paul says is you're going to fall back into the traps of the paganism of legalism. And that's paganism. So, so what else is an evidence of bondage? We have scheduled holiness. We have a vanishing joy. Verse 15, he says this, what, what then has become of your blessedness? That word blessedness is the makarios in, in the Greek. That's a state of well-being that comes from enjoying favorable circumstances. What has happened to your happiness? Where did your joy go? See, with the Galatians, there was, if you read Acts 13 and 14 in particular, there was this thrill in their heart to be able to continue to hear the story of the gospel shared with them to hear about the great love that God had for them. I mean, they're, they're practically congratulating themselves on their good fortune to hear the gospel. This is amazing. This is so, they were so happy that they would do almost anything to get it to continue. If you, if you look at, at verse 15, the way Paul um, posits this, he says, what then has become of your blessedness, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. All right, so what in the world is he talking about? So, so what that is, is a couple of people think that's one of the evidences that Paul's thorn in the flesh had something to do with his vision. So he's saying, when I stood before you to preach the gospel, my eyes were bad. I mean, like, really bad. It could have been a result of being stoned. It could have been a result, not, not stoned, being stoned. That sounded funny. Different kind of stoned. That messes with your eyes too, I guess. So... Um. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to fix all this and second service is going to miss out on all the fun. Um, <laughs> so it could be a result of, of, of having men throw rocks at them. There we go. Uh, it could be a result of, of the most common um, issue at that time would be because of the, the dust and the dirt in the streets getting in their eyes. Many people had, had serious eye disease. So it could be that. It could be a result. Some people believe that it's, it's a, a consequence of his interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus as that bright light shone all around him and had blinded him. Then he was unable to see and maybe that had continued to this point. Long and short, he had something going on with his eyes. And when he stood before the Galatians, it was an issue. It was something that got in the way. And, and, and he's like, so, so when I preached to you, you were so happy, even though my eyes were somewhat of a trial to you, but you didn't despise me. You treated me almost like an angel because you, were, you saw the beauty and the truth of the gospel. It was persuading you. It was satisfying you. It was, it was so valuable to you that you would have given up your own eyes to get it to continue. You would have pulled your eyes out and stuck them in my head so that I would be able to continue to preach the gospel to you. That's how overwhelmed these people were with the, the, the preaching of the gospel in, in their place, in their villages, in their cities, in their towns. The preaching of the message of the gospel. The, the gospel, and we remember this, the gospel is the good news 
that though we were sinners and completely separated from God as a result of our sin and unable to do anything about it ourselves, that God loved us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and who rose again from the grave forever conquering sin and death. That gospel message is what the Galatians were hearing and were receiving with incredible joy. But now, Paul, you're annoying me. Your message is old, and their happiness is gone. They no longer have a confidence in God's favor for them. They've got this insecurity, and they're questioning everything. So let me ask you, where is your joy? Where is your happiness? Is there a genuine, heartfelt thrill in you when you hear the gospel applied to your life? Or have you become the grumpy one? Uh, You can search long and hard, friend. You are not going to find in Scripture where it says grumpy is the way to live. One of the, we're going to talk about fruit of the Spirit in the next few weeks. The fruit of the Spirit, grumpiness and seriousness aren't on that list. When grace is rightly understood, there's a joy that is just unquenchable in your soul. When grace is rightly understood, you remember that the message of the gospel is that God loves me, and in Jesus Christ, he has accepted me, and he likes me. He likes me. But when the insecurity of legalism comes crushing in, it sucks our joy right out of us. So one of the evidences of living in bondage, again, is a vanishing joy. It's also a lack of humility. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So when confronted with the truth that you are helpless to keep the entire law and that by keeping the law the best that you can gets you nothing in God's eyes, do you get angry at the one telling you that? Um, this is, and I'm gonna be careful just time-wise, but, but this is where the priority of truth in what we do here at Uniontown comes from. The priority is truth, and I'm gonna, I can't stand here and lie to you. I have got to deliver the truth as much as I don't even want to hear it sometimes. If I was to stand here and lie to you, and, and, and I'm going to say, if I say most churches, the problem is, is you run to a church that's local that you think I'm ripping on, and I'm not, okay? But many churches, maybe I say it that way, that'll protect you from that. Many churches would stand in front of their people and tell you life is going to be great, life is going to be wonderful, You just follow Christ and all your problems are going to go away. Your marriage will be healed. The cancer will be gone. That is a lie. And I could stand here and tell you that, but it wouldn't even take your 10-minute drive home to figure out I'm giving you rubbish. You'd still be in the parking lot and be like, yeah, this is perfect, huh? People don't know how to drive. The truth of the gospel and the beauty in the truth of the gospel is not that when you trust Jesus Christ, everything goes like you want it to, and you never suffer heartache, and you never suffer pain. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that we are in a broken world, and we will regularly suffer heartache and pain as a result of it. But in the midst of that, we get God, and he's enough. He's more than enough. So how do you react when someone points out that you're trusting in something other than Jesus? 
to get you joy is wrong. How do you react when somebody points out that what you have done is you're putting all of your, your proverbial chips on the promotion that you want to get at work or the relationships that you want to build with other people or the finances or the money going into your bank account or the possessions that you have or, or the sex that you can have or not have? What happens when, when all of, of your chips have been put into this moralistic way of living that in essence does nothing except for prove that you can't be a moral person because you're broken and a sinner? So what happens when somebody stands in front of you and says, dude, you, you got it wrong, you're off. Your trust is in the wrong place. See, what you got in Christ, is an ex- in Christ is an acceptance before God that you didn't earn. It was given to you. So, so why? Okay, so obviously you guys are probably getting sick of hearing that because that has been, I mean, we're in chapter four and I've done it every week. The reason I'm hitting it so hard is because Paul does it every week. There's such repetition in Galatians where he just can't wrap his head around how these people could possibly have walked away from the truth that, that in Jesus Christ they've got acceptance from God and a grace that they could, could never fully understand and yet they've run back to the things that condemned them. And, and Paul can't wrap his head around it. So, so Paul continues to hit this hard and, and he tells them, be free like I am. But the other reason is this. Slavery and enslavement to the bondage of no religion is safer than being enslaved to the bondage of religiosity. Chew on that one for a second. Figure out how many different ways you disagree with that statement. And let me explain it. To be enslaved to the bondage of no religion at all is less dangerous than to be enslaved to the bondage of a perceived religion. And here's why. The one with no religion at all knows for a fact that they're separated from God. The one who is enslaved to the bondage of religiosity has somehow in their mind told themselves that they're gaining credit with God by what they are doing in their moralism. The worst verse in Scripture. Many times I'll say this is my favorite and then it changes. This has never changed. The worst verse in Scripture is found in Matthew 7. Where Jesus says, many of you will stand before me and say, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we healed? Haven't we cast out demons? And I'll say, get away, because I don't know you. I hate that verse. Because some of you sitting here will be in that situation. Because you cling to your moralism and your ability to keep the rules more than you do to Christ. And so Christ will say, depart. Because I never knew you. As your pastor... I would beg you to repent. I do not want to stand before Christ and know that you're not there. Um, enslaved by bondage to, to a lack of humility. Uh, let, me, let me jump into this one. 
Another evidence of bondage is manipulation. It's manipulation. Um, what Paul says in verse 17, they make much of you, but not for a good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you make much of them. What he's saying is the Judaizers have come in and they're, they're, they're coming after you really aggressively and they're trying to say, no, you're not in, you're not in, you're not in, so that you can run to them and be like, well, please tell me how I can get in. And it bolsters themselves. It, it inflates their ego and it, it raises them up above everybody else. And he says, listen, there, there, there's manipulation that's occurring among the Judaizers. They're trying to put you in a place where you need them. And they're made much of because they have the answers. And so one of the evidences of being caught in the bondage of legalism is manipulation. Manipulation happening for somebody else's glory other than Because if I, can, if I can hold you captive, if I can enslave you if, with my new set of rules, then I'm the one in control. If I manipulate you by guilt or fear, then I've put myself in the most powerful seat. And so what I would ask you, and I mean this in sincerity, pray for your church leadership. Because there is a huge danger of us falling into that trap. Pray for myself, pray for the elders, the pastors, the staff, that, that, that we remember that we're not here to create a platform or to have a big show about us. We're not here to be the one celebrated. We're here because the only one worthy of celebration has called us and made us one of his own. So pray that we cling and stick to the stuff I'll be straight. Pray for me. Because I, um, I will get it wrong at times. I will wrestle with my pride and fail. Um, I will find a way to seek to do things to make myself big. And so I ask that you pray for me. I ask that you pray for my wife because she's the one who needs to whoop me when I get out of line. You pray for the elders because they need to hold me accountable when I get a fat head. I need to know, and I do know this, I know this, I prove it every day of my life, but I'm so deceitful, my heart's so wicked, that somehow I start believing everything else. It's like, I'm such an idiot. I am nothing but a little boy with five loaves and two fish. That's all I am. I got five loaves and two fish. And even with five loaves and two fish, I can't do anything with that. I have to hand it to Jesus so that he could do something with it. And so that needs to be our perspective. When you look through the Bible <laughs> and you look at the people that God chose to use, none of them are superstars. Pick one. All you need to do is just be like, okay, let's think David. <laughs> nope, let's skip David, skip David. Solomon, oh, that's not good. Abraham, Abraham is still in heaven being yelled at Sarah. Because <laughs> Sarah's like, you told him I was your sister. I'm sure it's still happening today. All right, so it doesn't matter who you choose, none of them are superstars. And so the, the way of the gospel is not a manipulated or scheduled holiness that lacks joy and humility. And that's old-fashioned legalism, paganism, according to Paul. We're meant, and I, and I apologize that I'm going to have to kind of run through this, but I, I, really not a whole lot other than, yeah. We are meant to do one thing, not be enslaved and, and be put back into bondage, but we are meant to celebrate the freedom that is ours. So how do we celebrate freedom? Not by being manipulated into being a good moral person who creates this, this checklist of when to be holy, but, but, but we end up being overwhelmed with joy and humility that God calls you his child. What, 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 the way we, we celebrate freedom is, is celebrating that what God is doing for you is so much better than you could ever do for yourself. 
That's what it looks like to, to celebrate this freedom that we have in Christ. Verse 19, Paul's like, I'm, I'm in childbirth pains for you, Galatians, because I so badly want to see Christ formed in you. So how is Christ formed in us? He's, he is shaped in us when we rely on him to shape us. Jesus is formed in us when we abandon ourselves to him. We let go of all enslavements. We let go of everything else in our life. And instead, we allow Jesus Christ to shape our lives. Christ, Christ can be formed in us when we're willing to become putty in his hands. Somebody used this, and I love it. Christ presses the shape of his face into the clay of our lives when we take our own amateur hands off the clay and admit we're not very good artists. But he's amazing. And then, you know, that happens when we abide in the vine. John chapter 15. So how do I bear fruit? How do I have the image of Christ formed in me? How does it come out of me? John 15 is simply this. You abide in the vine. We are branches. He's the vine. As we, as we allow the branches to continue to be connected to the vine, the fruit comes on the branches, not because of the strength of the branches, but because of the health of the vine. And so we must continue to abide in him and see the, the formation of Jesus Christ in you. And this is the biggest point of the entire thing that Paul says. It's so subtle, it's ingenious, the way that Paul kind of puts this in there just to make sure the Galatians hear it, see it, know it. And we can't miss it. We can celebrate freedom not only because Jesus Christ is being formed in us and we're becoming transformed into his image day by day as we abide in the vine, but we can celebrate freedom for this reason. Look at verse 9. Now that you have come to know God. No, 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 that's not right. Rather, to be known by God. You have a passive reception. You're a passive recipient of God's grace. You can have freedom because he knows you. You have been loved and adopted by a gracious father who knows you and still loves you. And there is nothing you can do to make yourself more lovable or more appealing to him other than to be known by him. And you are known by him because of the finished work of Jesus Christ applied to your account. God's made you an heir with Christ, his child. And you're his favorite child. Who, me? Yep. Hey, there's a couple hundred of us in here. Uh-huh. You are his favorite. If you are a child of God, you are his favorite. His inheritance, his full inheritance in Jesus Christ has been given to each and every one of you who is a child of God because you're his favorite. That's the freedom we celebrate. So rest in daddy. Stop running back to the bondage of sin and the law. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we love you, that, that you loved us first, that, that we know you, that we, we can hear from you, that your spirit's alive and at work in us. I thank you that despite our sinfulness, you're still good. God, I thank you for these people who are here today who, who braved the rain and the clouds and the grossness outside and who have come here because they prioritize the fact that there is a family that is here with them. And God, I ask that as we wrestle with legalism, that's, that's just us, we, we don't like the, the mushy middle. We like white, we like black. We like the check marks so we know exactly where we are. We like scores being kept. 
So God, I pray that you would give us the grace and strength we need to rest in the fact that Jesus Christ is continuing to be formed in us as we submit to him, as we rely on him, and that, and that in Jesus Christ we have been known by God. Lord, I thank you for the freedom we have. I thank you that we can call you our father, we can call you our daddy, that we can cry out with our hearts, not because we're anything great, but because you have adopted us and we're yours. Lord, I pray that would overwhelm us today. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.